What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Chris Francis, and I'm here with our prodigal son, Donnie Socher. Did I pronounce that correctly? Correct. Okay. Uh, who, how long has it been, Donnie, since when you were a, a high schooler uh, doing links for Cavs the Blog between then and now? Because it's been a while. That was. That was um... Eight years ago, oh wow! I believe it doesn't feel like that long ago, but that 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 simultaneously feels like yesterday and a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we can think about it as it was like six hundred and six or seven hundred Cavs games. So, yeah, it was before LeBron had returned. It was yeah. the dark era, the dark ages. Yep, when we when we were debating. Um, the Smarto Samuels value and um who was who was that terrible uh center they had? Who oh, in two thousand thirteen? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Uh, oh, I know well, they had Luke Herringody, which was one of the the biggest theft of a million dollars in NBA history. <laughs> yeah, the Luke Herringody era was remarkable because that guy just didn't have anything approaching an, an NBA, NBA skill scale. level, yeah. yeah. Um was it Firkin Aldemir? <laughs> Somebody like that. Anyway, we'll we'll get into it. Um, but yeah, we're uh, we're happy to have you back, Donnie, and super excited you can join us this season and on the podcast today. And Chris and I and you, we're all gonna play a little uh, a little homage to uh, the McLaughlin Group. Uh, which, if you're old like me, you'll remember from PBS when they used to go around a roundtable and discuss political opinions. But we're going to actually go around the roundtable and discuss NBA offseason moves by the Cavs. So, uh, and this is a little preview of an article that Chris has coming out this week. So it, it should be fun. And why don't you uh, kick us off, Chris, as as our uh, you know titular host for uh, the Francis Group? <laughs> I know. I was trying to remember his. I was trying to remember if I could fake an accent or fake. A, <laughs> well, it was. I always a, remember. Like I never actually watched the show, but I, I. Dana Carvey did a really good impersonation. Of oh it, yes, so. you're right. Absolutely, absolutely. So and, and again, I'm very old, and I've been watching a lot of Saturday Night Live clips. My 11 year old just got into Saturday Night Live, and she's like watching it nonstop now. 
So. Oh, man. So that, that's awesome. Well, okay. So we're going to have Nate and Donnie here grade the offseason according to all the major moves of the Cavs offseason here. First on deck, we have the first move. Uh, we'll go in chronological order. The first move that was made was declining the qualifying offer to Isaiah Hard Rock Hartenstein. So what say you, uh, shall we start off with Nate first? Uh, what say you about the move? What grade would you give it and uh, why? Um, the Isaiah Hartenstein, I, I give it a, a B minus, I guess, but it's a one credit class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or no, 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 it's a pass fail. There you go. I'll give it a, I'll give it a pass uh, because, it, I mean, really – it's such an end of the roster move given their construction of how many centers and big men they have that I really didn't think it was that big of a deal. Honestly, the team that should get the F on it is Isaiah Hartenstein's agent who opted out of, I think it was over a million dollars guaranteed. And he's clearly not getting that on a training camp deal with the Clippers and, you know, didn't find a deal in Europe. So, they turned down a lot of money and it's probably not going to make that money back. So I actually thought that the deal he signed was a two year, $3 million contract. Was it? it was, yeah. I, I had so. read it was a training camp deal. Ooh. Yeah. It's Our, showing up as a training camp contract to me as well. Okay. Okay. So that, okay. Gotcha. Sorry about that. So, so that was mistake. I was mistaken on that. So he only got a contract. So he, Wow! So he lost out on a guaranteed one point like seven. 1. Yeah, one point seven, one point eight. Yeah, yeah. He lost out on a one point seven, and then the the qualifying offer was two million. So uh, yeah. interesting. So gotcha. Okay, excellent. How about uh, how about you, Donnie? Uh, well, to to answer this question, I I think it's important that I clarify where we're at with the grading scale. So are we adjusting for? you know, university grade inflation or is a B minus what used to be a C? Uh, you you go however you want. Exactly. If you need to qualify it, feel free. <laughs> insert whatever agenda you want to insert. That's right. Well, <laughs> well agendas aside, I think I'm going to go with a C genuinely being, you know, average and unremarkable. And with that in mind, I'm going to go with the C on this. I actually kind of like Hartenstein. He has, you know, some passing and a little bit of an interesting game for a backup center. But I also am already troubled and disturbed by the amount of big men on this roster. Uh, so overall, I'm completely comfortable with getting rid of him. Uh, but I don't really see how I could register this as a positive move at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which one of us is right, Chris? I actually think wow. I think I'll go ahead and give Nate the edge here just because I was under the impression that this was a favor done to Hartenstein and his agent to let him test the free agent market. So I and he did go to a more competitive situation, at least, uh, or at least a better team in the Clippers. So uh, I kind of saw it as I actually agree with Donnie that I would have given it a, a C grade in a vacuum, but it seemed like, and I could be under a mistaken impression, 
that it was kind of a favor done to uh, Hard Rock and his agent to let him test the market and let him go to, a, a, I guess, a better basketball situation with the Clippers. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, if it's if if it's an agent favor, then I I understand where you're where you're coming from on that. I think we're probably going to be okay on needing favors from Isaiah Hartenstein's agent. Uh, but correct <laughs> me if it turns out to be a power player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little honestly bummed for Hartenstein because I liked him. I thought the Cavs. Okay. I thought he played well for the Cavs in limited minutes. Um, I definitely think he has. I, I don't – I see him as being a, an NBA rotation player for sure, given the way he played last year. Um, and, you know, as long as he stays out of foul trouble. But honestly, as a bench big, you don't worry about fouls that much. You know, if you've got six fouls, if you you're if you play 15 minutes a night, that means you can foul every two, three minutes. So, um <laughs> You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you are a rim protector and a guy that, you know, if you, if you have no qualms about touching somebody up when they, uh, take a drive at the rim, that, that, that's a valuable guy off the bench. And I certainly, well, we know he, you like those kind of guys. Dave. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> all within the rules, mostly of the game. Um, but certainly that he's, his value is, you know, limited on this roster. And I hope he finds a spot in the league because I think he has NBA talent. Yeah, well said. I, I agree with both of you. I, I enjoyed his play. I thought he played better than I ever expected him to play for a, as a backup big. And uh sucks to see him go, but, uh, you know, uh, is a good appetizer. You know, I think that was a good appetizer to start off. Uh, a, a little, uh, a little Mobley, <laughs> a little, uh, German Mobley there. That's right. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So what do you got next for us? And as a matter of fact, we have Evan Mobley as the next move the Cavs made this offseason. They drafted him with the third pick in the 2021 NBA draft. What say you, Donnie, about uh, the pick, the move, the non-moves, any non-moves? Or how, how would you assess the, how would you assess the uh, pickup of Evan Mobley? Well, I think I'd give this an A. I just think that it's important in the draft to just draft the best player available to you and not think twice about it. I think it's pretty clear whether using statistical projections or, you know, going by what draft Knicks think or watching tape yourself, it's pretty clear that Mobley was the best player available. Once you take into account some of the other moves the Cavs have made, which I think we will be getting into, um, I think there are some questions you can have about not necessarily making the pick, but the Cavs' theory of Evan Mobley as a Cleveland Cavalier and where they see his on-court fit. But I have no qualms or issues with the pick itself. It's just so. So what do you what do you think that theory is? I think that they see him as a four for the beginning of his career and possibly moving forward, given how committed they are to Jared Allen. And I'm just extremely skeptical that his ball skills and shooting are actually above average for a modern power forward. So I would have been much happier for us to draft Evan Mobley with a roster construction that allows him to play mostly at center. Interesting. I I'm, and, and I actually really enjoyed uh, your article 
with the Evan Mobley preview. And I think you, you kind of, you know, are doubling down on what you had said in that article that he's a big man with wing skills, not a big wing. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, the NBA has kind of gone towards a trend of, you know, not fours and fives, but more, you know, hybrid big man rotation for the most part, where you have two guys that kind of are interchangeable at the big man spots. And then you have um, the same thing at the guard spots. And that's really the way the Cavs have operated. Now, do I think that's a totally sane NBA policy or an NBA theory in a wing dominated league? No, but we've had that conversation many times. So um, it, it certainly fits with the Cavs philosophy. I have seen Jared Allen shooting a lot of threes in some of the videos in the off season. And I have seen Evan Mobley shooting a lot of threes in videos in the off season. So I, my grade, I think, is going to be an incomplete, <laughs> or maybe oh, I'll, I'll give it an come A. On, Professor Smith, I'll, I'll give it an A, but we're only in the first quarter of the of of this semester. We're only in the okay. first half of the That's semester. Fair. So, That's fair. Um, I I do wish the Cavs had added more, you know, draft capital, because um, I think it was a really deep draft, but they they chose not to go that route. Uh, we'll we'll kind of see. Uh, all these bodies that they brought into camp. I was super bummed about uh, Chandler Vaudrin, as I said. I really wish uh, Matt Ryan had gotten a look. Uh, I really liked his shooting, and that kind of uh, floor spacing can definitely help, but he may be a guy that can only shoot on the wing. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I will say, Nate, I, I do actually agree with you on how deep this draft was, and the reason I'm still giving them an A is because of what I said about best player available. I think oh, if yeah. the Cavs, if the you know if the Cavs front office decided Evan Mobley is a future superstar, then you just draft him and you don't worry about it. Again, that being said, if it was you know left up to me, I think I probably would have traded down to six, six or seven, or you know, people were talking about maybe the Magic's picks at I think it was five and eight I I think I probably would have done that because I'm generally a believer in just more bites at the apple and I think there were a lot of studs this year in the top 12 oh, I, I'm with uh, you I, I think the other thing that you have to look at is you know if you were going to trade Larry Nance maybe you should have thought about trading him on draft night rather than trading him you know after the draft for a draft for draft picks in a draft that may not be as deep. So I was actually going to bring that up. I, there was, I thought there was a rumor about Nance last year that he could have been traded last at the end of last year's uh, deadline for two non lottery first round picks. Is that something, is that something in retrospect now? Well, now when you knowing, say last year, do you mean the 2020, 2021 season? Yeah. Or the, yes, nine, the, season or the 19 just, slash 20 season. The season that just transpired. Okay, so I guess sorry. It, with no, the, you're with right, everything that's happened COVID. in the last couple of years, you kind of got to qualify it. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I think the 2021 season. So, yeah, but to, yes. but, but to answer your question, Chris, yes, I yeah. think that if the Cavs truly turned down more than one mid to late first round pick for Larry Nance Jr., then I think that was a pretty major mistake. 
Wow. I'm going to disagree with both of you there just from the fact that I don't think the Cavs had any idea they were going to get a top three pick and take Evan Mobley. Um, and really, he's probably the only big man in that range that they would have taken. Um, and that kind of is what necessitated the Nance trade because Nance wasn't going to be starting for this team at the four. And, you know, I don't think there's... I think there's very few other scenarios where they do trade Nance, so that that that's my take on that. Sure, sure. No, that's fair. That's a fair point. So I, so I give would, us a. <laughs> so who, which of us is correct, Chris? Well, I would have to go this round with Donnie. Um, I do think that there is a problem either with how they see Mobley or how they're envisioning building around Mobley with a, with a vision towards the next four five to 10 years with Mobley. So, um, but I do think that uh, I do agree with both of you that it was an A move though. I mean, at the end of the day, without trading the pick, without moving down, you took the best player available it's hard to say that was a mistake. So I, I do agree with both of you there. I would have given that an A as well. So, But I with, do agree oh. with Donnie that there's a little bit of a concern there. And with that, we're going to pause for our first break, and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. Nate Smith here with uh, you know Chris McLaughlin here of, <laughs> uh, of the McLaughlin Group. I was just reading about that. I guess that show ended in 2016. Uh, well, that's not that long ago. Uh, no, it wasn't. So it, it's still somewhat fresh. Um, that's right. <laughs> you know, it was a pretty good year for Cavs for Cavsdom 2016. So I'm I'm not going to complain about that. Uh, what do we got next on the off season uh, breakdown here, Chris? Okay, so next up we have the Ricky Rubio trade. We uh, the Cavs uh traded Tarian Prince and I believe a pick for uh the services of one Ricky Rubio. Um and we'll lead off with you Nay, what say you professor? What grade you well, give me? Well, you know me. I love me some Ricky Rubio and I've loved him all the way back to, you know, my got buckets days when I curated Rapham as a as a hobby for regularized adjusted plus minus in the NBA. And Ricky was always among the leaders. Um, you know, his advanced stats and his on-off stats aren't as high as they used to be. But I certainly think he was part of the catalyst for the Suns becoming the team that they did uh, in the season before they got Chris Paul. I think he is a winner. He's a very good player. He's a guy whose impact is probably higher than his stats. Um not the greatest shooter, not the greatest finisher, but among the NBA's best passers, among the NBA's smartest uh, on-ball and guard defenders, um, a guy who can get a triple-double um, on a lot of nights, uh, just a really, really sharp, smart player that you know any team would be happy to have. I also think there's a world where he gets traded before the end of the season – you know, if uh, the Cavs look at like a Ben Simmons trade, a lot of people are like, well, they didn't have Torian Prince to uh, to trade that contract now. But you got to realize, you know, Ricky Rubio may may be the other contract that makes sense for a team. So I, I give it an A. I think 
they needed more veterans. They needed more adults in the room. And Ricky, Ricky's a guy that everybody loves playing with. And I think he's going to really do a really good job of bridging the gap between the older generation and the younger generation on this team. Follow-up question to you, Professor Smith. Professor. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Would you still give it an A if there is a move, uh, if they do move Rubio before the deadline? I'd have to see what it's for. I I don't know. Um, You know, I think one of the things about the Cavs is they're still in pure asset collection mode. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think Ricky Rubio is part of your long-term future with the team – and you don't think you can re-sign him or in the offseason, uh, which to me is, unless you're overpaying him, a, a bit of a a bit of a gamble. I, I don't think you can keep him. So we'll we'll see what happens. Okay. Okay. How about you, Donnie? What what grade are you giving this move? I'm gonna give the move a C plus on the basis Ooh. of us trading. Prince and a second rounder from Washington, I believe it was, for Rubio, because I think he could be a genuinely helpful veteran voice in the locker room. You know, it's always hard for me to make judgments based on chemistry stuff because it's, you know, it's just kind of the big unknown when it comes to team and player evaluation. We can really only gesticulate in the direction of saying anything meaningful about it. But I'm I'm okay with the move. I part of my skepticism with it is, you know, Nate, you mentioned the Cavs being an asset acquisition mode, and if that's true, why are we trading a veteran and a second round draft pick for a slightly better veteran? Like that doesn't. I, I, I think really that's suggest. a fair criticism. I thought, especially when you're taking on more salary, that that's a little bit goofy. <laughs> But, yeah, and I, I but and maybe I, I, the Wolves had a better offer, and or they had two competing offers that were around the same, and they said, you know, sweeten the pot. I don't know. Yeah, o- o- overall, I I think I'm okay with the move. I will say though that if this is a precursor to trading for Ben Simmons, uh, then it's like gets all the way down to D minus for me. Um, <laughs> Whoa, we, we to need to, we that. need to have a Cavs, the duels with you and, uh, with you and Eli on trading for Ben Simmons, <laughs> the original Ben Simmons fanboy. <laughs> yeah. Fan you man. know, I just, Sorry. um, am not, I'm just, I'm just not a big fan of, um, seven foot max players who can't shoot free throws or take layups in close playoff games. Um, and just disappear as if they were an end-of-the-bench player. I mean, literally, I've seen more bravery from Talon Horton Tucker and Dylan Windler in big moments on the Cavs and the Lakers, which are my two teams because I live in L.A., um, than I have seen from Ben Simmons. I mean, the idea of pairing him with Evan Mobley and, I mean, Jared Allen is just... I actually might. I we have to stop talking about it, or I'll get physically ill. I just I can't even <laughs> think about it. Well, fair wow. enough. Fair wow, enough. those are two opposing views right there. I actually, what's funny is that I actually came down on the side of more on Nate's side of as I thought about it more. It was an underrated move of the off season, um, and the reason why is just because 
Darius Garland was literally the only guy they could trust with the ball in his hands that could get into the paint, can uh, create offense for other players. And they finally got another guy uh, who came off of a brilliant Olympic uh, Olympics uh, as a uh, star type of uh, in a star type role with uh, Rubio. And uh, the knock that I have uh, about the Rubio move is based actually on the on the idea of whether or the possibility that they're trading him, which would kind of uh, which would go to Donnie's point about uh, why are you spending assets on a player if you're just not committed to them and going to lose them anyway in free agency in the next year. And secondarily, uh, you're paying a guy who's been a, a grizzled NBA veteran who's probably the best backcourt player on the roster, and you're asking him to accept a backup role even though he's getting paid like a starter and is looking for one more contract, you would presume, uh, in the NBA before he rides off into the sunset, one more major contract before he rides off into the sunset. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I kind of come. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah ahead, I'll respond Dave. to that a little bit. I I think you're absolutely right about you know if you don't think he's a long term asset, why are you committed to him? I think the Cavs probably hope that he can be a longer term asset. Um, you think I there also you think, think there will be was, a you think there will be an attempt to resign him at the end of the year? Uh, well, I think if he if he's not moved, I think they're certainly probably gauging that and certainly. Um, you know, if, if the Cavs have shown us anything, it's it's that they react to what happens in the season and are very flexible on changing their plans if something better comes along. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, am I wrong? That was when very I say diplomatic, that? I mean, dude. <laughs> you know, the Andre Drummond into Jared Allen uh, <laughs> conundrum certainly certainly proves that. So, absolutely. It, it, <laughs> I, I think they'll they'll very much play it by ear. Uh but I like like I just said, I don't think they'll I don't think they would have given up a second round draft pick if they didn't think it was a good move. I also think, you know, and I didn't mention this, I don't think Prince wanted any part of being in Cleveland. I absolutely think it was uh Prince uh that was leaking stuff to uh Joe Varden, not Joe Varden, uh Kurt, uh Lloyd from uh the Athletic and that he really didn't want to be in Cleveland. You can tell by his body language on defense. I thought he was abysmal defensively and, yeah, and Nate, really I, played I, for his stats a lot. I am, in general, supportive of the idea that the Cavs need to focus on getting players in here who actually want to be here. So on that note, I don't mind it. And, you know, I might have come in a little hot on Ben Simmons, but I do no, want to clarify okay. that's that. That's what we're here for. This is this is a, an average to slightly above average move for me, and I'm I'm totally fine with it. I frankly don't <laughs> expect anything very yeah. good or bad to come out of it. Yeah, I I will say the one my one last point is you know to your point that he probably should be starting. He did have a very similar role with Anthony Edwards and um, D'Angelo Russell last year, where he basically moved to the bench after uh, Edwards started. So it. It certainly isn't a concept that should be foreign to him. So. Gotcha. No, that's a good point. And with that, we will move to the next topic. The signing of Jared Allen to a five-year, $100 million deal. Nine figures. Wow. What say you, Donnie, about the signing? So I don't want 
to sound too harsh here because I'm worried about my safety when I visit Cleveland. Oh, come in guns blazing, buddy. (laughs) The concept of signing Jared Allen is completely fine to me. However, my concern is that the Cavs overpaid a guy, and I don't really believe that the market existed for them to give him five years, $100 fully guaranteed, not even a team option. If you look around the league and you see what other teams are doing in free agency, the on a league-wide level, there is a move away from you know, empty cap sheets because players are signing less and less in free agency and player movement is happening more and more via trade. So I'm okay with the idea of signing you know, a young, really talented rim protector through his mid-20s. I-, I love the idea. But if you look at what the Knicks did, not that they have historically been a great front office, but they signed all their guys to three-year deals, most of them with an option for the team to decline on the third year, I believe. And that's the kind of thing that I would have liked to see for Jared Allen. You know, it's entirely possible that two years from now, Evan Mobley is a stud and, you know, let's just say he's Chris Bosch for the sake of this conversation you know, I think in the modern era, Chris Bosch is very clearly a starting center. And look, maybe Jared Allen turns into Miles Turner and can hit 35% from three and everything I'm saying is wrong because I do believe he and Mobley will be unbelievable on defense. But I just can't really assume that until I've actually seen it, you know, on a decent sample size. So I think I'd have to give this one a C minus because I, I, you know, you just look at what other centers go, go for. I mean, Rashawn Holmes, I believe it's something like four years, 55 million. Rashawn Holmes is not a significantly worse player than Jared Allen. He actually, right now he's probably better, albeit older. So shorter, shorter. Sure. (laughs) But five years, a hundred million, just, just, it, it doesn't actually make sense to me when I'm looking around the league, you know? And, the truth is, this grade is harsh, and it's possible that reporting could come out that the Raptors were offering Allen for four years, $85 million, and the Cavs had to beat it. If that's the case, then I'll adjust to some extent, but this is just a lot of money to pay a center who is, as of yet, a completely unproven shooter in the modern NBA especially when you drafted a 4-5 with the fourth overall pick. So I, you know, when when you pay wings, when you overpay a wing, there's a chance that another team is, needs a wing because every team needs wings, and you can trade them down the line if you don't really need them. Even the Nuggets, you know, they just signed Aaron Gordon, I think it was four years, $92 million. That's an overpay, but every team in the league could use Aaron Gordon on their roster. That's not the case with Jared (laughs) Allen, and that's why the deal frustrates me so much. I mean, you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. Here we go. Let's let's hear it. Ready for it? Let's hear it. So, one, I think the one thing that everybody kind of overlooks with the Jared Allen deal is new NBA contract in three years. That twenty million dollars is going to seem like a bargain when the cap may. The, the new TV deal may at least double and possibly triple the current NBA deal. Um, so there's going to be a lot more revenue floating around. The cap's going to be a lot higher. 
Uh, so that deal may seem like a bargain in three years. Um, the other reason that you're wrong is now the Cavs have the coolest big man combo nickname since, uh, you know, <laughs> Malone and Elijah Wan in Houston and Tower City is going to be a sweet ass nickname for the Cavs two big men. So I'm just I'm all in on Tower City. Well, look if you wanna if you wanna <laughs> give Kobe Altman, you know, front office executive of the year because he makes life easier on local radio, then <laughs> by all means. But you know, I'm Ooh, just trying to figure out coming how, on with those hard coastal takes. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how this team gets close to competing for a championship. And oh, I'm with you. Uh, no, I. I, it is. Well, look, look, you know what? It's I, I, I really do like Jared Allen, and I, I see the point about the cap that is relevant. But, and again, I'm not, I'm not trashing it. I don't think it was a nightmare like some people in the national media do. But I do wish that we could have seen the Cavs do something like more money yearly and just with quicker outs. Like, yeah, I, and, I and like a lot of people say, it's not about the years. It's a, or it's not about the money. It's about the years. Um, I, I'm not that worried about it. I think one of the problems is the Cavs have to prove to their young players and have to prove to the league at large that they're willing to pay guys. I think one of the reasons you can, you know, sign guys to three year deals in New York is because you can make a lot more money in endorsements in a market like New York. And, you know, there's very few agents that don't know that now. Um, and there's probably no agents that don't know that. Um, so you do have to overpay in small markets. I actually think the Aaron Gordon deal was kind of awful uh, for the Nuggets. Uh, but I think, you know, somebody says it's basically the Tristan Thompson deal is this is the guys you have. You can't get somebody else. You have no ability to get somebody else. So you have to pay overpay the guys you have. Cause I thought Aaron Gordon was an absolute dog in the playoffs last year. He, he was, like, he, 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 he was. If that's I mean, if Aaron you Gordon. want to bag on Ben Simmons, you got to bag on Aaron Gordon in the playoffs. Cause he was not quite as bad as Simmons, but he was pretty, he was pretty lousy. <laughs> That's actually yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's I, a good point. I will say that Ben Simmons still making ten million dollars a year more than Aaron Gordon. Um, and <laughs> you know, look if if Aaron Gordon is who he was in the playoffs, that was a horrible contract. But the point I'm trying to make is more about the philosophy of team building in the modern NBA. Because Aaron Gordon, a year into that contract, let's just say he plays at the median outcome, like he's about as good as he was last year in the regular season, has a slightly better playoffs, whatever. Take a, literally just pick a team out of a hat, Charlotte Hornets, Sacramento Kings, New Orleans Pelicans, all three of those teams just off the top of my head are teams that could find a place on their squad for Aaron Gordon. It's just not hard to fit in a player who does the kinds of things that he does and can defend multiple positions. and. I don't think Jared Allen is that kind of player. Like he's a five. He might yeah. be a stretch five, but he he is still a five. And uh, so there is there is more downside just inherent to signing a center to a long term contract. I think. My, I don't. My, I don't think we got sorry. a grade from you, uh, Nate. So you- I will say my 
thinking is that the Cavs see the Bucks in Giannis and Brooke Lopez and are hoping that is what, you know, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen can be. And whether that's realistic or not, I don't know, because, you know, if if you think that Evan Mobley can be a Giannis-like talent, well, that, that the odds are pretty long on that happening because he's a once-in-a-generation type player. So, But I'll give the move a B uh, on the overall scale. I, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's going to end up being that big of an albatross, uh, especially given the Cavs' inability to sign free agents. I don't think the Cavs live or die on the strength of the Jared Allen deal. Um, so we'll see what happens. But is there upside? Uh, the upside is that he's a very young player, still developing his three game. Uh, like I said, it could be an absolute bargain if he's a guy that can start shooting like four threes a game and stretch the floor a little bit with an Evan Mobley. Um, and, you know, he is a really good finisher and the Cavs have two really good finishers now. And that is something that's super helpful. Um, you know, teams are actually, there's going to actually be space open on the outside because there is really, you know, guys that are rim threats. Uh, behind the back of the defense, uh, both lob and catch and finish. So, Look, I, I do love the idea of them on defense, and I do think Giannis and Brooke Lopez are a reasonable model for Mobley and Allen on defense. The concern I have is that I just pulled it up right here. For his career, we're talking one, two, three, five seasons in the NBA, all of which he's played most of the games. He's 17 for 85. So he's shooting 20% for his career on incredibly low volume. So it's not out of the question. He shows some decent touch from the mid-range on occasion. But even turning himself into a four, three-point-a-game player at 30%, which would be tremendous for this team, is still a long ways away. So I, I'm open to the possibility, but I don't feel that it's a certainty with this team, with this player on this team. Yeah, and what's funny is I will have to side with Donnie on this because I invented something in the forthcoming article called the Mobley Curve. And using the Mobley Curve, the Jared Allen signing gets docked a grade because of the question about the fit and the long-term in uh, the long-term potential of a Tower City pairing. So that's, uh, I think there's a, even what's funny is that Jared Allen is a great, you know, he's a good role player. Uh, he has upside and it seems like most people agree that's a tradable contract or it's a, it's a contract that could be involved in a bigger deal, say possibly Ben, ben Simmons. But um, until those two things come to fruition, it's hard to say that it's an ideal fit with Mobley, uh, whom supposedly, according to, I believe, a report by Chris Fedor, um, is slated to start at the four. Uh, he's slated to be in the starting lineup at the power forward position. So I will, I will have to side this round with Donnie. And with that, we'll go to our next break. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I got I got to uh, apologize to to Donnie. I wasn't 
wasn't trying to uh, come at you that hard. I was just excited, you know, excited to have you back in the booth, getting a little fired up. Let's get some hot takes going. Yeah, you know, it's okay. You don't have to apologize for being so excited about the Jared Allen signing. I know you're really looking forward to a future where the Cavs average 38 to 42 wins for the next two decades. And we're, <laughs> we're getting ourselves there. So I'm really happy for you. <laughs> Mediocrity, thy name is Gilbert. <laughs> oh my goodness yes in the mclaughlin group we uh we pull no we pull no punches is that the way you're supposed to say it i can't I, I don't know <laughs> okay yeah regardless okay moving on uh we have next up on the docket the larry nance jr trade what say you nate about oh, the coming son back of to cleveland Going to the West Coast. You know that I was apoplectic when the trade was announced. I was not a happy man. Uh, I believe the, you know, you and me and Eli uh, text back and forth uh, on occasion. And I believe the quote was the Cavs are idiots. Um, (laughs) You know, in retrospect, I think it goes back a lot to what I said about, you know, Larry Nance wanting a chance on a contender and if he, if he wasn't going to be a starter with the Cavs. Um, and right. if that was kind of his private request to get on a place he could compete, um, I, I have to respect that and, and I guess just live with it, even though I'm annoyed as heck by it. <laughs> and even though it, it colors my evaluation of the Evan Mobley trade and I wish they hadn't made it, but you know, it, you, you write it. Larry Larry Nance Jr. was a ride or die guy for me. So, um, that being said, Lori Markinen, uh, what was it? Four years, um, four years, 60, 67. 67 million with a partial guarantee on the fourth year. Um, that that's a tough pill to swallow. I I don't know if he makes all that much sense for the Cavs long term. Um, I think his best year was probably his rookie year and his second year, and he's tailed off a lot, but maybe he needed to change the scenery. Um, we'll kind of see what happens there. That that seems to be my uh, grade for the evening. So I'm going to give this move <laughs> a – I'd much rather the Cavs have gotten a wing. I'm going to give this move a, a C. Mm, <laughs> uh, all the way around right. okay so i just want to clarify nate so you're excited about the thought of jared allen a 20 percent career three-point shooter spacing the floor for evan mobley but you're completely unmoved by the idea of lowry marketing who shot 40 percent from deep last year spacing the floor around mobley well yeah because mobley plays defense or because allen plays defense and uh allen looks like he has a pulse when he's on the court. Um, you know, Lori Markinen, I've seen him mail a lot of games in. And those kind of guys really start to annoy me watching them. I mean, I've seen a lot of games where it you forget Lori Markinen's on the court. And that's kind of one of my criticisms of him. He really tends to disappear in games, uh, both defensively on the boards and uh you know, if he's not getting open threes, he just kind of doesn't do anything. So that that's my concern about him. Uh, you know, he he shit giving is not a strong suit. <laughs> what say you, Donnie? What do you think about the move? Yeah, so 
I'm actually in favor of this move. Look, Larry Nance Jr. is a great guy. He's from Ohio. It was great having him on the Cavs. We'll always have the memories. But at the end of the day, (laughs) I mean, he's under contract for, I believe, this year and next year, correct? That's the yes, uh, Larry Nance was, yeah. yes. So on this contract, Larry Nance Jr. is a great value, which is why we perhaps could have gotten multiple first-rounders for him at one point and traded, and we're able to get Lowry marketing for him in this trade. But it only takes one bad ankle twist or the shooting going even colder for him to become a neutral asset, someone you end up trading for a Ricky Rubio type player. And, you know, it seems likely that he wanted to be on a contender anyways. So I just don't really see the point of keeping him around, even if we had drafted, for example, Scotty Barnes or Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs instead of Evan Mobley. And on Lowry Markinen, this is the type of swing that I'm actually excited about Kobe Altman taking. I agree, Nate, that Markinen peaked probably as a rookie, and that's pretty disturbing for a guy who's been in the league for four years. I, I will also say your injury complaint about Larry and a tweaked ankle is funny considering Markinen's played fewer games in the last three years than Larry. Yeah, that is a fair point, but Larry is at the end of his contract and we're talking about him as an asset. There is plenty of downside in the Markinen signing. I am totally aware of that. But I also think there's plenty of upside. I mean, just for a second, strip out all the noise. And this is a guy who's shooting 37% from deep on six three-point attempts for his career. And that's exactly the kind of guy you want to put next to either Jarrett Allen or Evan Mobley at the end of games. And look, there are so many questions with him. There is the health question. There is the defense question. There is the does Lowry Markkinen know who he is in the NBA question. Because on some level you watch him play, it's pretty clear that he still sort of sees himself as some like weird Dirk prototype player. And he's not that. He's a spacing big who can maybe do a little bit off the dribble and a little bit in the post. But the Cavs have just desperately needed shooting. We saw what our team looked like last year with negative spacing. I'm just okay with this with this signing, with the trade. And, you know, you look at who we could have gotten in return for Larry Nance. I think it's very fair to just look at what the Bulls actually got, right? They take on Derek Jones Jr. and they get a pick with top 12 protections. You know, we're looking at the 15th, 16th best player in the draft probably with Portland this year. I'm just not that excited about that. We take a swing on marketing. After one year, it's a two-year deal with a small guarantee on the third year. I I think it's okay. I am going to give this For a, a very young player as well. Yes. Yeah, a very young player. Markin is he's still only twenty three. Yeah, Markin is twenty four this season. Jeez. Yeah, I'm I'm that's I'm how birthdays go... work. <laughs> <laughs> that is how birthdays work. That's a good point. Uh I'm gonna go with a strong B plus on this one. Whoa. It is one of the only moves Altman has made in the last year or two that I am genuinely happy with. 
Wow. Wow. That caught me by surprise. I will have to side with Nate though on this one on this score. Uh the the main qualm I have is I think Nance's defense is kind of underrated in this conversation. He's uh, he's nearly an elite defense NBA defensive player. He's probably when the healthy. best. Yeah, yeah, when healthy, yeah, absolutely. He's probably he was um, not probably he definitely was the best wing defender slash perimeter defender I think on the team. Um, especially with uh, an elite steal rate, I think it was two point eight. Uh, he has a two point eight percent steal rate, uh, which ranks uh, in the ninety seventh percentile of the NBA. So I think you you uh, the defense took a significant hit with Larry Nan- the Larry Nance Jr. departing. Granted, you know I, I agree with both of you. If he wanted to go, he wants he wants playing time. He wants to play meaningful basketball. Uh, and we need to do right by our, uh, you know, son of the, you know, hometown son, then that's fine. Um, and I also do agree with, I, I do agree with you, Donnie, about uh, Markinen shooting. He's a dead eye shooter. Um, the fit there, he seems to fit seamlessly with uh, Mobley or uh, Jared Allen. The whole pro, the reason why this trade though for me gets downgraded is because. Laurie Markkinen was out there on the market with no buyers um, and probably could have been signed outright for the MLE is what I've heard other smart people who know about in the basketball world say is that, well, why didn't Cleveland just sign him, you know, with the mid-level exception? Um, The second thing is, uh, the, the second thing for me is you paid him starter money you've paid now him starter money and you've paid Jared Allen top 20 money and you drafted a a big that you need to develop and give starter minutes and develop so i do and like you still the, have uh, Kevin Love sitting there making i know exactly another we're 56 in, million over the next 2 years or 55 yes. uh, so there's all this capital in investment and resources poured into this position where now you've clogged, you possibly created a clogged uh, rotation situation with your star franchise changing player, Nevin Mobley. Now, uh, now this actually, so you've pigeonholed Mobley into the power forward, power forward position by paying Jared Allen all that money. And now you've kind of sent a mixed message, it seems, to Laurie Marketing. Is he going, he's going to get, He's not a starter, but is going to get paid starter money. But somehow he's supposed to um, be in the rotation. Uh, is he going to be in the rotation uh, exclusively with Allen or exclusively with Mobley? Uh, I just, it's a confusing situation for me. Wait, that wait, really downgrades wait, wait. the situation. You're saying that the Cavs have given someone mixed messages. That's yes, I, I, really <laughs> unbelievable to me. I, I don't understand how anyone could say this about the most transparent and forthright organization in the league. Yo, oh, yes, we got the fire and brimstone from Nate. There we go. That's what's up. Yeah, I, I, I will say that, you know, I also am a little skeptical of the numbers on the Markinen contract. If we're going to be skeptical about this one, I think it speaks even more to my skepticism about Jared Allen 
needing to be paid five years, a hundred million to actually land him. But to me, where the Cavs are right now, look, it's a freaking mess <laughs> to uh, you know avoid swear words. I'm not sure that anyone on this team outside of Garland and Mobley is more likely than not to be on the Cavaliers five to six years from now. Oh, I I, I don't know about five to six months from now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I think the... <laughs> but that being said, because we're in this weird primordial soup of player evaluation, I think it's really important that we figure out as soon as possible how good is... Darius Garland, how good is Colin Sexton? And I think it's really important to have a big who can space to answer those questions. Like I, I really would like to see these guys play in a variety of different kinds of units and just see what happens. You know, with Mobley, Allen, and Okoro on the floor, that's probably already one of the top five defensive front courts in the league. And Colin Sexton should be able to play acceptable defense on a unit like that. If he can't, then it suggests he probably never will be able to. And well, on I, the other I think end, Colin Sexton can play defense on a unit like that, but probably not with Darius Garland. <laughs> Let me put it that well, way. Well, well, right. But look, and perhaps we could get into this another time, but I actually am – higher on Sexton than I think most Cavs fans and I was a little confused by the rush to trade him for like Obi Toppin and a mid first round pick um, I think Sexton has legit upside and I don't really think him and Garland make sense together long term but in order to figure out which of those guys is the one we keep and I think it will be Garland based on everything we hear out of the Cavs and we hear from the beat reporters um, I just want to see both guys playing with a wide variety of lineups. I really want to see Bickerstaff like screwing around, throwing crazy stuff out there, like all offense units with Markinen, Mobley, Sexton, Garland, and I mean, maybe even Rubio. He could defend up a position, I, you know, or all defense lineups and see if Sexton or Garland can carry the offense on their own. I I just think that it is important to get different types of player types into this organization. And Larry Nance Jr. is a defense first player who learned over the course of his career to be a decent offensive player. But let's just be honest, like this was more like Ozzie Smith to use a cross sports uh, analogy near the end of his career, you know, becoming a decent contact hitter. Like Larry Nance Jr. was not going to shoot at a high volume from three people didn't respect him from out there he's a very good passer in those sort of in between spots like at the elbows and in the paint but he still is someone who is to some extent clogging our offense and i just don't mind us getting an all offense player it does make us worse this year it makes us worse the year after that probably but to that i would just say like who cares like i i just don't really see this Cavs team as having realistic top six or even top eight hopes and with that in mind i am fine with us just pushing our team younger and more flexible and with a little bit more upside because there's no world where larry nance jr suddenly 
started balling out and was worth four first-round picks. We would agree on that. But there is a world where Lowry Markkinen is like, this is my chance. I can prove myself and turns into, you know, a real maybe sub-all-star level player who can shoot and play decent defense. Like, I, that's not out of the question. There's legitimate upside there. And so I, I'm okay with it. I, I really just want the Cavs to stay young and just allow our guards to play with spacing and a little bit of defense for the first time in a while. Wow, that was uh, – that was uh... – that you can step off your soapbox. I'm going to give you the slow clap. <laughs> there we go. That's what's up. No, so, hey, just... Laurie Markinen needs a new agent. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I will say there. You know, one thing I am excited about. A Markinen has not played with a guy that is great at getting him the ball. Um, and so I am the truth. actually really excited to see those bench units with Rubio. I think he's going to unlock a lot of what Markkinen does well. Um, you know, if, if they run some bench lineups with Love and Markkinen, that's actually a really fun second unit that can score. You know, that's where I was actually going to go. Out with the yeah. second lineup um, and maybe uh, Chetty Osman, that's a fun second unit that can score a lot of points and get up and down the court. That's exactly where I was going to go, Nate. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, when you mentioned doing um, love marketing lineups, I, there was lineup data that I looked at um, I, that I'm recalling off the top of my head. So forgive me if it's off, but I'm pretty sure it was data uh, surrounding five-man lineups with love and Wade. And those lineups were very productive offensively. I think they posted something like a 120-something offensive rating the defense was <laughs> you know but uh but i believe it was a marginally it was it was, it was a net a new, positive i believe it was a net positive marginally net positive lineup and it was because that offense was basically running at an elite level with all that spacing so it's a great point you make there nate about uh, and, and uh, donnie as well about seeing some lineups uh some all offense lineups like that uh, and, and seeing guys fire away from three. Yeah, I would, you, you know, like, I, I know Garland had his little run last year, and I know Sexton had those wonderful back-to-back games against the Nets, but if either of these guys, and again, I agree mostly with the Cavs front office, it's more likely to be Garland, but if there's any chance that Darius Garland can be Trey Young, which I think is kind of what the Cavs are thinking about with these moves. I, I I sort of see it less as Giannis Brook and more as John Collins, Clint Capella when looking at the moves we've made. If there's any chance of Garland being that kind of true star, you know, put the team on his back type player, then I would like to see him go off, you know, I'd like to see Garland drop 40, 35, you know, 20 and 19. I just would like to see him have some real star level games. And I don't even care if we win those games. That's the truth as a Cavs fan. Like it's a little more depressing to watch losses, but I would be okay with the top two or three pick next year. As long as we see some real, notable upside from our young players because the truth I, I is, think Kobe Altman agrees with you, which is funny because <laughs> for all of you bagging on Kobe Altman, you seem to be adopting the same philosophy. Well, if you're, I think if Kobe Altman was really okay with a top three pick, then he would have 
signed and traded Jared Allen to the Raptors and taken a center off the scrap heap. Um, honestly, I, I that that to me or, is a or just brought back Hartenstein. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Bring go. back Hartenstein. It's that yep. that guy's well accustomed to helping us lose games. Um, <laughs> I just zing. <laughs> I uh, you know I I am excited. I, I am excited in a measured way about the Cavs' young talent, but I think it's decision time sooner rather than later on Sexton specifically. And Garland, we're we're getting we're closer to there than we'd like to admit. You know, these guys almost all get max or close to max extensions if they've shown something. Um, so yeah, I and I, Garland's coming next summer, whereas Sexton is this summer. So. Yeah, and I, I and you know maybe we could we could get into it a little bit, but I think we're gonna have to decide on Sexton pretty quickly. I, I'm actually happy we didn't trade him this off season because you know I was arguing about this with some friends. You look at his basketball reference and you compare his third year stats to Bradley Beal and C.J. McCollum's third years in the league, and it's actually pretty favorable. You could do the same with Zach Levine. You know. He's noticeably smaller than those guys, and that matters because size really matters on both ends in the NBA. But I, I think there's a chance that Sexton has legit, like, major scoring upside. And so I, I'm excited that we kept him around and we can see if he takes yet another step in what's been a pretty linear improvement curve so far for him. I, I'm pretty skeptical. <laughs> well, but, well, but I, well, that's because that's, that's that. you like guys – to try on defense, which I understand. Well, and yeah, and and guys that are taller than six feet. <laughs> yeah, that's also that's yeah. Also. And with that, we're gonna take our next break. Welcome back to Cavs a podcast. So there's two more moves that uh, we have to grade that came about in the last week, and a, a little you know we a lot of us were on hiatus for Cavs the blog, so we did we didn't give him as much coverage as maybe I would have liked, but. The Cavs finally signed someone from my free agency guide, and that was Denzel <laughs> Valentine, uh, who came to the Cavs in a in a two year deal. I believe uh, only the first year is guaranteed, and then they also signed Kevin Pangos, uh, who let me let me look up Kevin Pangos's bio. A Gonzaga star was he a four Gonzaga year, star? Yes, okay. a four year Gonzaga star. Um, who's played in Europe, I think, for the beginning of his uh, professional career. Yeah, and he signed a two-year, $3.5 million contract. Um, you know, had pretty good shooting stats uh, for Partisan in uh, the Euro, in the Adriatic League. Um, he was I, a, yeah, he was a historically good shooter uh, at Gonzaga as well. So that's, yeah. that was his MO for sure. Yeah, give us these, uh, give us these deals. Um Give us these grades, Donnie. Yeah, I mean, to me, Pangos is a B plus, A minus. I think it's unlikely to be a very impactful deal, but in general, I think that there's more veteran talent overseas than people realize. Uh, you know, you watch some Pangos clips. He's really a great lob passer and just a just a smart player. You know, I don't think there's really any chance that he gets to the level of starting guard or even sixth man probably you know his jumper is good but um if you watch it there's not a lot of like off movement jump shooting he's pretty much a set shooter and even when it's off the dribble he's 
really got to have the space to, you know, get into his normal shooting motion. But I think the Cavaliers should feel pretty good about signing this guy. And, you know, when it comes to Denzel Valentine, I that's like a C to me. I just, he's 27. He's like really not young. Um, he's also, you know, kind of known among the Chicago Bulls fandom for jacking up ludicrous threes early in the shot clock. Um, I just don't see a lot of upside for him. He's kind of wing-sized, which is good, and I don't think he'll hurt the Cavaliers, but I don't think he's very likely to help the Cavaliers either. And what say you? <laughs> well, I, so I really like the Pango steal, um, mainly from the standpoint of I had to watch Damian Dotson try and play point guard last year. Uh, I watched a lot of Chetty Osman play point guard last year. I watched Yogi Ferrell uh, and Boo Boo Bear play um, point guard last year for the Cavs. And the Cavs cannot have too many guys who can handle the ball on on this roster after watching the debacle that was the Cavs' backup point guard situation last year when the injury bug hit. So thank you, Jesus, for giving the Cavs more competent ball handlers um, and guys who can run an offense because I if if I never watch Damian Dotson try and run a point guard play again and throw up just an absolute garbage shot, I will it will be too soon. Um, not sorry to see Damian Dotson go from a offensive productivity standpoint. I did appreciate his professionalism. And his heart last year, you know, he played really hard in a lot of really early games where the Cavs were starting, um, oh God, who was their horrible big man that they started with Andre Drummond and what we're playing stretches with last year. Uh, uh, there was, there was, wasn't there the McGee, Drummond, uh, Allen lineups with like, yeah, the, but no, I'm trying to think of the even worse guy that they started the season with. Oh man. Oh, Thon Maker. Yeah. With Thon Maker that just, <laughs> uh, after it had one good preseason game and that was the height of his Cavaliers fandom. Well, I was to be just... fair to, to be fair to Thon Maker, I think he might've entered the league at like 26. Um, <laughs> so he could be like he could be older than any of us right now. Really, no way. He's no. like almost as old as old Obi Toppin. Oh, dang. yeah, that's possible. That's a, yeah. There I we mean, go. no. So I'm I'm happy about that. Denzel Valentine is a guy that I think very much was on the bad end of a minutes crunch in Chicago and. As you noted, just was an abysmal shooter at times last year. Um, 37% from three, or I'm from the floor, 33% from three. Um, you know, his best year, much like Laurie Markinen, was in his second year in the NBA he, uh, when he scored 10 points, um, five rebounds, and three assists. Um, he missed all of 2018 2019 with injury. And hasn't really been the same player since. And I don't know if we're going to see that player again. And this is probably, if we don't, his last stop in the NBA. He has a chance to remake himself as, you know, a 3 and D type player. But he's definitely got to be more disciplined. That being said, the Cavs don't have a ton of wings on this team. And I still see him, you know, the question is, is he better than... 
uh, Stevens, you know, is he better than Lamar Stevens? And if he is, um, although Lamar Stevens is a three, four and he's a two, three. So it'll be interesting. I, I hope he doesn't play a ton, but it's certainly another wing body. (laughs) Um, but I think he still has a little bit of upside if he can, you know, if part of if his injury, if his issues have been injury caused, he may bounce back some. Um, but I hope he plays better than he did last year. Uh, Chris, there, which one of us is right? And there, yes, uh, I will have to go with the Kevin Pango signing. Uh, that, that one seems to be the intriguing one. It it. The theory behind signing a guy like Pangos makes all the sense in the world. So even if he doesn't pans out, at least there was a sound process that appears behind the signing. Um, Denzel Washington or Denzel Denzel Washington Valentine uh, D- Denzel Valentine. Uh, I'm not as high on, but I have to do. I do have to declare my bias here. I'm friends with quite a few chicago bulls fans who are quite vocal about their disdain for denzel valentine and his uh basketball acumen so uh, are, are you saying that he goes to the the quiche chris school of shot selection yeah <laughs> that's i that is the perfect if there was a player that you needed to like pluck a guard out from version the kid, of Marquis, yes, Chris. exactly. If you if there was a name that you needed to pluck out from the recent Cavs history, that would completely be the perfect out- analogy for Denzel Valentine. Yes, Keish Chris. Man, well, I, I still like I, the guy. I don't know why. So. I almost am more excited now because. You almost it's almost better when you're watching terrible Cavs games to have some guy to just totally rag on when you're oh, recapping them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that guy may be Denzel Valentine now. So apparently there's gonna be Valentine's memes. Valentine Valentine memes uh posted <laughs> nice. in the live threads this year. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. I, so what are your Bulls friends' takes on marketing? They, unfortunately, they were uh, largely the same as uh, their disdain for Valentine. They felt he was a a major underachiever um, who, uh, who their, their thing about him was that uh, he wanted to do more on offense, apparently, that it didn't seem like he was capable of doing. He wanted to create more. He wanted to play in the post more. When really he should have just been a spot up shooter, and it seemed like he was possibly reticent uh, in in accepting that kind of role uh, on that Chicago squad. So that's very um, similar to what Donnie said earlier. Yeah, exactly. So th- it seems it seems like there's a you know there's um, there's seems to be a consistent pattern there. So and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the Cavs who paid him. Uh, very well you know i don't think he was getting that money from anywhere else and uh, he got some security and he talked about his freedom now with the Cavs. so hopefully we see a resurgent revitalize laurie marketing for the Cavs. yeah i there's there's a lot of things to be concerned about when it comes to laurie marketing and his fit on the Cavs and the type of player he is he has massively underachieved and on the one hand, you don't want the team that you root for to go out and get an underachiever. On the other hand, 
underachievement is kind of potential, isn't it? The fact Absolutely. that this is a guy with real lottery talent who has yet to actually perform at that level in the NBA. You or, know, it, or only shown glimpses of it early in his career. Right. And I think that's a lesson Cavs fans should understand, given that we're the ones who uh, gift-wrapped uh, you know, the next Michael Jordan to the Houston Rockets and Kevin Porter Jr. So. Next <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> wow. Oh, no, maybe, I'm sorry. Not, maybe the next baby Jordan. I'm sorry. Not the next Michael Jordan. He's more of a... Penny Hardaway type player, I think. Uh, or, are you that big of a KPJ fan? No, I'm. I'm. I'm mostly joking. You're, I think you're K- completely facetious. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. I do think KPJ has upside, but I think he's likely to end up like a. You know, Jordan Clarkson is a valuable player in the league, but he's also Jordan Clarkson, uh, and all that is attendant to being Jordan Clarkson. And I I think that's the type of player we'll see KPJ eventually turn into. I do think he has a place in this league, but I think he really has the the sort of mental game to ever actually put it together for entire seasons as a great player. Yeah, that that certainly I I don't I think for him to be a great player, he's gotta get to like twenty five, twenty six. Or, or at least to be a Jordan Clarkson level player to get to twenty five, twenty six before he washes out of the league, um, to just you know get some maturity under his belt because I don't really see him, you know, over- overcoming his demons until that happens. So hopefully he can get there. I'm rooting for him. So. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, but with both of you for sure. Yeah, and and with that, I mean, I I think we've kind of run the gamut of the Cavs offseason. I'm not really going to get into the training camp deals because I think there's probably one guy that, you know, makes the roster or maybe a two-way deal. Um, Of course, a lot of those guys got to play a lot of minutes last year given all the injuries. So, you know, that that's something that could happen. I, I would say the one thing about summer league is um, I'm very skeptical. Broderick Thomas makes this roster in any fashion. You know, my, my secret component of the uh, Kevin Porter Jr. trade. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, a, I, I, man, any it was rough Cavs for thoughts or news to add, Donnie? Um, no, not really. I'm just, you know, excited for training camp, excited for the season to start, excited to watch Evan Mobley outside of the summer league because I think I could speak for all of us when I say that was not a very pleasant viewing experience. Yeah. I I will say one thing I am happy about is the Cavs have three guys on their roster and Pangos, Rubio and Garland that can get him the ball. Um, And and that is not, that is not something to be sneezed at. And and I will say Chetty uh, may, may still do some ball handling as well. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think my overall take, um, especially you know breaking it down piece by piece, uh, in in as a whole, is what I kind of realized about the whole off season for the Cavs is, I mean, getting Mobley obviously, I mean, makes it almost it it forgives all sins, you know, Uh, because there's that hope of that franchise changing player, you know. 
And secondarily, I guess I would say I underrated the Rubio move. I, I think that that was that if if they let him play and if he stays healthy and he and he sees the court regularly and kind of, uh, you know, carries the momentum he had from uh, Tokyo. I really think that that was a, a, a underrated move and a move that, uh, you know, I probably wasn't as excited about initially, but getting more excited about in retrospect. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see that second unit for sure. Uh, Donnie, anything? Well, no, I already asked you. So, um, Chris, anything to pitch this week? Any uh, any crazy stories? Anything to call out? Oh, I, no, I, had I didn't the, uh, know this question was coming. Come I on, know, man. I know. Well, it, the what's preoccupied my mind is this uh, article. So I guess I'll pitch the article. There's an article coming out. It'll be uh, grading the off season. Uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be for the, uh, for the CT beers in the long lean months just before, you know, or the dead season just before training well, weeks now. Just yeah. Oh, weeks. weeks. Yes. Uh, you're right. You're right. So I'm going to, um, it through hell or high water, it's getting done and it's getting out to you guys. So stay tuned for that. Donnie, anything to pitch, anything to add? Yeah, I actually am working on a piece uh, about what we could look for from Colin Sexton this upcoming year and Ooh. just sort of the range of outcomes for him because I've found that he's a very thorny, difficult player to think about and talk about. You know, on the one hand, high volume, efficient scoring from a guard at his age. That's awesome. On the other hand, he's tiny and doesn't play defense, and no one who plays with him seems to particularly enjoy playing with him. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think he's a fun player to think about. Um, so I think that should be ready in the next week or two. Awesome. I'm, so personally, I'm going to pitch uh, a couple things. One, I've been listening to a boatload of REM um, my wife has gotten sick of it. There's like a five disc uh, live uh, in the UK uh, set that came out, you know, a couple years ago. Um, and it, it's kind of almost like a live greatest hits retrospective. And it's just really phenomenal. I, I love that band. It's making me love them more. So I uh, wish nice. in some ways they were spill, still around, but I also totally respect kind of the way they went out at the very top of their game. Um, I What else do I have to pitch? Um, I will pitch all these fantastic Oktoberfest beers that are coming out. I had some Founders Oktoberfest this week and then, or in the last couple of weeks, and I had some Great Lakes Oktoberfest, and both of them are just really, really fantastic. I've, I've kind of started to gravitate in my older age away from these super hoppy beers and back into the, the maltier Marzen type beers. So uh, I do love this time of year when the, when the Oktoberfest beers come out and they feel like they're, they're really good this year. So excited about that. Try to check those out. Um, trying to think if there's any uh, TV recommendations, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. So Oh, I'll I'll pitch one. I got one for you guys. Uh, Lucifer, second part of season five, season six just came out on Netflix. So that's what I'll be binging uh, in the near future. Is uh, the, it was based off of the um, Sandman uh, comics, 
by um, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Sandman is coming to Netflix too. What? Are you serious? Yeah. And they just released the second. The Act Two audiobook uh, just came out recently. Yeah, I follow Neil Gaiman on Twitter. So. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, yeah, thank it, you for it, the lead. In terms of TV, I, I, I unfortunately have found myself deep within the clutches of yet another Sopranos binge, which is, <laughs> I'd say, this is like number. Now, seven now, are you excited for, for the the miniseries coming out? Um. You mean the, the it's a feature the the David Chase the prequel is it a, is it a is it a movie yeah. I thought it was a limited series no they're doing it as a as a feature film um, oh okay I'm cautiously optimistic I I think generally these sort of spinoff movies are you know they did one for Deadwood not great they did one for Breaking Bad enjoyable but very sort of fan servicey if you know what I mean yeah. I, I honestly would rather they be that than, you know, some of these money grabs you see. But, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, and, of course, Breaking Bad has kind of had this great second act because of Better Call Saul, too. So, Or Better Call Saul also, I should say. Um, anything from the TV, anything other than Sopranos? Um, yeah, I mean, a little maybe under the radar, but a show that I really recommend everyone check out. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you, you're going to end up having to like get a free trial of Sundance now or some ridiculous crap like that. But there's a TV show called little drummer girl. Um, it's based on a John Le Carre, uh, spy novel and it's directed by Park Chan Wook. Um, who did Old Boy and is um, just a like really major South Korean director? Oh yeah, the Re- the Revenge trilogy, Old Boy, yeah. uh, Lady Vengeance, and what was the other one? Um, that's a good question. I'm horrible with titles, but <laughs> I can't remember. But I had to flex a little bit of, <laughs> you know, no. Often this podcast is 50% Korean That's so, right. <laughs> between Eli Kim and uh, Chris Francis. So, um, yeah, we, well then, we well definitely then, love our Korean cinema. Well, then this is a great recommendation. I, I'm telling you, it's really, you know, there's so much TV nowadays that sometimes great shows can just slide under the radar if they aren't promoted correctly. I think if this show was on HBO, it would have been a huge hit. It's got Florence Pugh, Alexander Skarsgård, Michael Shannon, and it's uh, based on uh, John Le Carre, which I'm not sure your mileage with him, but really, you know, the the novelist who wrote Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and a lot of other really classic sort of twisty spy thrillers, and it hits that like really beautiful, you know, morally complex gray area sort of vibe. It's it's really good. I, it I it looks like it. it's on Paramount Plus, or no, it's on Sundance now. Okay. Um, yeah, I have to check that out. That that looks really cool. Um, that that might be on my watch list for this week. Yeah, we love that. That sounded. Yeah, that was a man. You need to be this guy's agent too. <laughs> well, I um, I I spend uh, five days a week pitching TV shows, so I'm good at pitching. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, I didn't realize we had a ringer on the program. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this has been another exciting episode of Cavs the Podcast. Go check out uh, Little Drummer Girl. 
And uh, what what was your recommendation? Uh, REM, and what was your recommendation, Chris? Lucifer, season five and six. Nice. And, of course, we're missing Eli tonight because he is going to see uh, what's the new Marvel movie? Oh, yeah, Shang-Chi, right? Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, I believe. So we'll, we'll get a report on that next weekend or next week. So And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.